0: Rashtuni Radio presents The American Indian, a standing indictment against Christianity and statism in America by R.J. Rashtuni, narrated by Robert Halliday, produced with permission by the Calcedon Foundation. Chapter 6 Work In Christianized cultures, a man's calling is to work and to provide for his family. According to Francis X. Murphy, the earliest Christian documents stressed, and I quote, the sacredness of work over the evil of idleness, End quote. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28, Paul declares, Let him that stole steal no more but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. James Moffat rendered it thus. Let the thief steal no more. Rather, let him work and put his hands to an honest task, so as to have something to contribute to the needy. Paul tells us, first... Ungodly work usually has ungodly motives. It is governed by the spirit of theft, by both employer and worker. It is often ruled by a desire to avoid work. The antithesis is between work and theft. Normally, gain is possible only by one or the other. Gain by gifts or by inheritance. Or, like means... Is not commonplace. Men must look to work, unless they choose theft for their sustenance. Second, Paul stresses the religious requirement of honest work. Slovenly and lazy work are forms of theft. Third, Paul requires that work be governed by more than desire for support or family support. Commandable as these are, there is also an obligation in Christ to give to the needy. It is important to stress this text because on the mission field among backwards peoples the work ethic is lacking, whether among the Indian tribes of the Americas or the Papuans. In some cultures work is the duty of women and slaves. This does not mean that Indian men were parasites living off their women. In earlier days, the men had their responsibilities. They were warriors, hunters, and fishermen. Among some tribes war was uncommon. None had much to steal and their meagre life did not invite attack. The arrival of horses with the Spanish made fighting easier. Among Western tribes, those connected with buffalo hunting were the more warlike. Most western tribes did no farming. In virtually all tribes, men despised manual labour. The horse was an important part of knightly pride and power in feudal Europe. Among American Indians it served the same purpose. It was common in my day for an Indian to have forty to fifty horses. Very few of these were broken to harness or saddle, but they are important as a form of wealth and a source of pride. Late one night, while I was taking some young Indians home from a church meeting, a number of horses bolted across the road, and before I could stop, I ran into a young stallion and broke its leg. The Indian owner wanted no compensation. It was not a horse he had trained for use. He did not know how many more he had. Had I been a stranger, he might have accepted a few dollars. Knowing me, he did not. He was rich in horses, and would not miss the one he had to kill because of its broken leg. It was a beautiful sight to see Indian boys of five or six ride as though they were part of the horse. While a few Indians became reasonably good in rodeos, and the annual Indian rodeo at Owyhee was very much relished. The Indian riders were different. Normally, in a rodeo, the white American rider is successful because mastery over the horse is important to him. The Indian may be, at times, as hard on a young horse as any white American, or harder, but his attitude towards his horse is different, or was in those days. The young Indian would usually be very young, but breaking a horse to saddle was like entrance to manhood, and his horse, gentled by his training, was a source of pride and status. Indians made good cowboys, but, in most tribes, poor shepherds. A cowboy feels lordly and looks down at the cattle. A shepherder lives with the sheep bottle-feeds, orphaned lambs, and doctors ailing or hurt sheep. Few cowhands prosper and become ranchers themselves. Shepherders usually save their money and buy their own ranches. The Indians I knew were aware of the fact that the Navajo are sheepmen, and this amazed them. One elderly man once said to me of the Navajo, and I quote, they must be some other kind of people." Quote. The Indians, if not spoiled by alcoholism, were good cattlemen. They were very poor farmers. Farming seemed to them to be woman's work. In my day, the only Indians who had family gardens and a family orchard were Christians. Guy Manning kept bees, which amazed other Indians. Cattle work had a natural appeal to the Indians. In the old days, the Paiutes and the Shoshones traveled widely, hunting and fishing in small family bands. The bands would come together only occasionally. The spring branding roundup brought them all together out in the hills and was thus a time of great celebration, as well as work. To a lesser degree, the fall sale time cattle roundup was also a tribal occasion. Every Fourth of July, there was a tribal encampment of the non Christians lasting from a week to two weeks. The families came together in a great circle of tents for dancing, gambling, drinking, and not a few less reputable activities. Some families were usually unwilling to decamp and the tribal council sometimes had to send the Indian police officer to order them to do so. Indian girls and women were usually very good workers. A woman's life schooled her for working. Men, however, could be good workers, where they were under authority, but on their own were less successful unless Christian. But the men did respect work. The Indians of my day were in a few instances trained at Carlisle Indian School, in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, which was founded in 1879, just two years after the reservation was created. The institution, of which baseball great Jim Thorpe was an alumnus, was one of the boarding schools to which Indian boys were forcibly sent. If a father hid his boy to avoid losing him to the school, he was publicly chained in irons near the agency office until the boy was surrendered. Older Indians showed me the place where their fathers had been chained. The church elder Thomas Primo was a Carlisle man. In time, to be a Carlisle student, began to have a little distinction. In time, also... Although the older Indians never forgot the harshness of chains, they also began to respect what the boys learned at Carlisle. Thanks to their pragmatism, the Indians, especially the Shashones, were quick to pick up the white man's standards. The white man for them meant a world of victory, high skills and tools. For the same reason, they despised the black man as a loser. Very quickly, practices which the white man would view unfavourably were either discarded or suppressed from public attention. I learned once of an instance of sexual practice not mentioned in anthropological reports. In earlier days it existed sometimes, neither approved nor disapproved, suppressing any reference to it and making no mention of the single case that I knew of except among the Christian men, did not mean any fear of criticism by whites, neither did it mean any emulation of the white men. Rather, it was the association of certain standards with a certain level of civilization. Curiously, in those days the older Indians assumed that all white men were Christians, even though almost none of the whites they knew attended church. It was assumed that being a white man meant being a Christian, and it was difficult to shake that belief. On the other hand, they recognized the differences among white Americans in many spheres. I was routinely told, sometimes with crude humor, that Indian agency whites were the white men of lower intelligence and less inclined to work. Why then did Indians fail to understand that being a white man did not make a man a Christian? The reason for this inability to separate the two was that the older generation saw faith and culture as inseparable. They well knew how many of them had white blood. In some cases, because of illegitimate children born to Indian girls, but also because some white man joined the Indian tribes and married one or more Indian girls. They then became Indian as far as the tribe was concerned. Such men took part readily in all Indian practices. They were now Indians. Christians among Indians were still regarded in my day as having abandoned Indianhood. That they looked like Indians and spoke Pius and Shashun did not alter the fact of separation. I was reminded of the fact that, in the early Church, Christians were called, by their enemies, the Christian race, and Christians spoke so of themselves. Our present perspective is racial. A man is Caucasian, Negroid, or Amerind, regardless of the faith he professes, and we have as our fundamental criterion his colour. This has not always been so. A man's faith has at times determined his race. Christian, Indian, or whatever else, on the reservation I once heard said of a busy Indian who was future-oriented. And I quote, He works like a white man. And quote. I believe these older Indians were right in seeing religion and culture as closely related. Our failure... Now to make the connection is leading to disaster.